All right. Let's pray and get right into this. God, Lord, uh, again, we just come before you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the time that we have. Lord, to be in your presence. Lord, that you have already been speaking to our hearts. That, Lord, when we gather together in your name, it's that you are in our midst. But we just ask that you would just continue uh, to speak with the Holy Spirit, that you would make the Word of God come alive, uh, that you would illuminate the truth to our hearts. And Lord, I pray, God, again today uh, for each of our hearts, Lord God, the hearts of the people that we love, the people in this region, Lord, that we are here, God, to, to know you greater, to, to learn more about who you are, to love you more, Lord, not, again, not just knowledge in our steps, not the information, but Lord, transformational things that will go on our hearts so that we can then in turn spread the good news of Jesus to the people we come in contact with. Lord, we love you and we honor you in Jesus' name. Everyone's dead. Uh, thanks again for being here. I just uh, want to say thank you for taking time out of your day to worship God, to Join us as we worship Him together, and so I so appreciate you being here. Um, today we continue in the series 52. I hope it's been a blessing to you. Um, we have, uh, we're taking these principles from the book of Nehemiah, this Old Testament book that is a time of Israel's history. Uh, this man named Nehemiah, um, God called him and set him apart to, uh, to, to have a vision and a mission of rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem that had been torn down. Uh, the people of Israel, because the sinfulness has been scattered um, all over the, the, the region, God has spoke to the prophets, and, and, and basically with this is the same call to our hearts today, is uh, God is saying, live my way. I have a plan for you. I want to prosper you. I want to bless you. But do life my way. And we see the children of Israel in history, and at times they would follow God, but at times they were disobedient and they did their own thing, and they, they just forsook God, and they said, no, we will live our own life, we will become uh, God of our own destiny, we will rule our own life, we will call the shots. And God, ultimately, His heart was for the people, as His heart is for us, and He said there will be consequences to living that way, and, 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 and through a couple of prophets, specifically, you have Jeremiah and Ezekiel that said over and over to the people, if you don't listen to God and you don't obey, you will go into captivity, you will go into exile. You will be pulled from your homes, and you will be spread throughout, and, uh, and, and, and the people didn't listen to them, and that's exactly what happened. Through sinfulness, through disobedience, there were consequences. And we see that unfold in this story of Nehemiah, but it's not just a bad news story. Um, this is a time in history where the Lord had promised, He said, I will bring you back. I will bring you back to your homeland. And we have Nehemiah who is working for the foreign king. He is the cupbearer of the king. And uh, he is, you know, basically like he's a slave because he's a part of the exile group. But God sees him, sees his heart for the Lord, and God calls him, and he gets word that the walls of Jerusalem have been torn down. He is very sad about this because, you know, at one time they built it and it was a symbol of strength and honor and God's blessing and favor, and now these are torn down and are burned to the ground. And he gets word, he's very sad. And uh, we're, we're looking at these principles through this book because it is also, as, as a historical um, uh, book, it's also a prophetic picture to us as the church. 
That's why when we read stuff in the Old Testament, it is a lot about Israel and, and, and God's people, Israel, and what they did and what they went through. But it also can be uh, the principles of it speak to us in our hearts about obedience, about living God's way. And as we see in this book, it speaks the principles speak to us. And I believe our prophetic picture of what God has called us to. And as Nehemiah was called, and God gave him this vision and mission to go back home and rebuild this wall. God has called us with vision and mission. And as Doug said, about the rebuilding of the wall, sometimes it's, just, uh, sometimes it's about us and what God wants to do. And to us, each one of us, we need salvation. We need Christ, right? And He will restore and rebuild and redeem our hearts that have once been far away from God and as we surrender our lives to Him and we, um, we make Him Lord and Savior of our lives, He begins to restore and redeem and rebuild us and call us according to His purpose, just like the wall. And then also, as God gave that word this morning, the wall and the, the building is, is about the kingdom of God. It's about spreading the good news of Jesus to our region and to the people in this area. And today we're going to get into spiritual warfare. Because there's a real battle. And the battle, again, the battle is for our own hearts. The battle is for the hearts of our families, our marriages, our children. The hearts of, uh, the battle is about the, the hearts of our, um, our, us as a church family, for the people that we come in contact with. Because God loves people. God wants to restore and redeem people because He loves us. And He's called us to build a kingdom. We're going to be getting into this idea of spiritual warfare. Here's the cool thing about Nehemiah. There is a good news part of it, and that's this key verse that we've been looking at each week. Um, if you want to go to that next slide. This is the good news part of it, okay? So today we have hope when we see things that are going on. And uh, today specifically we're going to see some of the warfare that they begin to um, be involved with as they were trying to accomplish the vision mission God had called them today. There was resistance. But as they kept their eyes on the Lord, as they kept their, their, their vision and mission of, of what the Lord had called them to do, it says on Oscar the second, the wall was finished just 52 days after they had begun. And this is miraculous. I mean, uh, considering the damage that was done, no one would ever thought that they could do it. But they were not working alone because they were doing their part and God was doing his part. See, we're not in this alone. When we are doing what God has called us to do, He is with us through the power of the Spirit. He is redeeming us and rebuilding us, and we are not alone. And so these, again, uh, some of the principles that we've been looking at up to this point, number one was we've taken an honest inventory of our lives. And that's what the first thing Nehemiah did. He saw, he heard uh, what was going on. The walls were torn down. And we just take that honest look and we say, Lord, I see areas in my life. I see areas in my, my family, uh, the people that I've come in contact with. And there is a reality that there is brokenness in our world, even in ourselves. And Nehemiah begins to, so he takes his honest inventory, then he begins to pray. And we talked about prayer, the power of prayer, the purpose of prayer. The purpose of prayer is to know God. The purpose of prayer is not just to bring him a list of what I want him to do for me. Now, we can bring our requests, and they can, we can make those known to God. And if you want to listen to that, you can go online and listen to that message. I'm not going to get into detail, but the purpose of prayer is to know God in relationship with God. And then the, the second part was repentance. And Nehemiah began to say, Lord, I take responsibility for my sins. 
responsibility. So we live in a world and a culture that does not want to take responsibility, right? We, we cast blame, or we try to shift, we try to dodge, we try to maneuver around. And sometimes, you know, we just need to step up and say, God, I see why, what is going on. I see the consequences of maybe making my own decisions, being God in my own life. And I recognize that. And that touches this heart when we do, when we do that. You are on a path toward restoration when you, um, when, when you are repentant to the Lord. And you say, and that's what Nehemiah did. He said, Lord, forgive me for my fault, my disobedience. Forgive my father. Forgive us as the people. We recognize what we've done. And so he walks in that, that, that repentance. And then the Lord begins to give him the vision and mission. He has favor with the king and he begins to pray. And he goes back home and he looks at the wall and they inspect the walls. He's got his eyes open and saying, okay, here's what needs to be done. And the Lord wants to give us a vision. He wants to have our eyes open to see what he's doing around us in our sphere of influence, the people we come in contact with in our own hearts and the hearts of our families. So he begins to inspect the wall. And then we see him place these people on the wall. And Nehemiah 3 carries that a portion of it today. But people are on the wall doing their part. And he's facing them by, by families and by groups to the church family. You can see uh, the prophetic picture of we all, are, we all have a role. We all have a part doing what God has called us to do. And we're called with purpose, but we're also called to be committed. We need you. You're called to be connected with the body of Christ. There are no Lone Ranger Christians that are just kind of doing their thing. You are called to be connected. And that's why Paul said, you're like the body. You're like a physical body. He said, that's how connected you must be. And so those are some of the principles that we've been looking at. Today, again, we're going to look at spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is a reality. We are in a battle. Again, there is a battle for the hearts and souls, our own, and the people around us. The enemy of our soul, he doesn't want us to follow Jesus. He does not want us to walk in God's purpose for our lives. He does not want us to build the kingdom of Jesus. He does not want us to spread the gospel. He does not want us to walk in freedom. And he does not want us to walk in victory. But in Christ, those are the very things we are called to walk in. So the enemy of our souls is going to fight against us. So today, next week, and maybe one more week, I'm not sure. We're going to see what kind of time we have here. I'm going to try to be timely this morning. But we're going to unpack this idea of spiritual warfare, how to fight the battle. Because the battle is real and the enemy is real. Now let me pause here. This is not, not the, the, the intention is not to bring so much attention to the devil. Right? My goal is not for you to leave here and be looking over your shoulder and wondering if there's devils all over the place and you're, you know, uh, it is not to bring so much attention to him, okay? Because as we fix our eyes on Jesus, that's who we need to be focused on. It is to be aware that the enemy is real, okay? We're going to find out when we're going to look at what Jesus says is there's a, a real enemy to our soul. The spiritual battle is real. We need to be aware of it. We need to be aware of his schemes. His false that he has schemes against us. But it's not to live in fear. Because again, that's one of the other methods is to, to make us live in fear. But to live sober-minded in the reality of it, but not in fear. 
And so we're going to look again. We're going to go back to the story of Nehemiah as a launching point, a prophetic picture of what is happening. And I want you to look. We're going to go through the. We're going to go through Nehemiah chapter four. And it's going to be long. I'm going to stop at times, and we're going to unpack this a little bit. But I want you to see this Old Testament story and how it spiritually speaks to us. It's profound. And so I encourage you to open your heart. Don't get lost. Uh, it's going to be a little long, but uh, that's why I'm going to pause at times and just kind of unpack this. But I want you to, um, as, as we're going along here, to ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our heart to us to see um, what is happening as it pertains to us. So it's, uh, it's a little bit long, but but stick through it. You'll be, you'll be glad you, you, you did. You'll see the parallel between the enemy of Israel and the enemy of our soul. Fighting against what God called them to do and what He's calling us to do. So I'm, I'm praying that this is an encouragement and that we walk in greater freedom as we leave here today. Because here's the reality. Whenever we are walking in the things that God wants us to do and we are taking that step toward His purpose and His vision and mission for our lives, the enemy is not happy. Nehemiah came back and they began to rebuild the wall. And, you know, it's the people that tore down the wall. They're not going to just sit back and watch them rebuild and go, oh, I guess they're going to do that and just walk away. There was resistance. And you're going to see the intensity of the spiritual battle unfold as we go through. So let's read this together, starting in verse 1. Sambalot was very angry. And you can either say Satan is very angry. When he learned that we were rebuilding the wall, he flew into a rage and he what? He mocked the Jews. Saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, what does this bunch of poor people do think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that, so even the enemy sees the broken down mess that's all around them. And says, There's no way they can do this. To buy the Ammonite who was standing beside him remarked, that stone, that stone wall would collapse even if a fox walked along the top of it. And so let me just stop. The enemy mocks us and tries to make us feel shame and guilt that we're never doing enough. He wants to make you think that your life is in such shambles that there is no way, there's no way it can be rebuilt, that you are too far gone, that you are feeble, that you are nothing. And you know what? In some ways, we can agree with our adversary and say, you know what? I am weak, but in Christ, I am strong. Amen? And so the, the enemy tries to mock us. One of these tactics is to mock you. And there's this thing that goes on in our minds. And you will find that the biggest battleground of your life and my life is the battlefield of our mind. There's been a lot of books written about it. I encourage you to, to read to me, but it's very true. I'm going to get into that in a moment. But he mocks us. And how does he mock us? Again, it's not this audible voice. It's just a thoughts of doubt, thoughts that you're never enough. You're never good enough. You are dictated by your guilt. You're dictated by your shame. You're dictated by your past feelings. You will always struggle with that. Your dad did it. Your grandpa did it. Therefore, you're always going to live in it. Your kids are going to live in it. And this is this mockery where then it feels, it, when you listen to it and listen to it and entertain it, it gets discouraging. And so what he's ultimately doing is trying to get our eyes off of Jesus and the mission and only focus on the mountain of our circumstances. Right? 
Because you think, look at this rubble, look at the circumstances of your life. Look at this. And so the enemy will even use the elements of truth. You brought yourself, you, 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 you brought yourself into this mess. You guys disobeyed God. This is what you get for it. And again, there's a level of truth, but he holds the truth in unrighteousness. But then we go, oh yes, I understand now. And I might be, I might be having some consequences for my sinful decisions, but I know who I am in Jesus. And I am healed, I'm restored, I'm redeemed, and I'm rebuilt, and I'm moving away from my past, and I'm moving into the things that we have for me. But the enemy will try to give you a look at the circumstances. He tries to get us to think that, again, our work isn't good enough. Because what, what does he want? Hopelessness that leads to giving up. That's what he wants. Give up. Give up. Verse 4. Let's jump to the next part. Verse 4. Then I pray, hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. And may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins. For they have provoked you to anger here in front of the buildings. And so what does Nehemiah do? He gets his eyes back on God and begins to pray. Now, he is upset, right? And this is some righteous anger because he sees what the enemy is doing. It's like one of those prayers of David. I like that sometimes. And David would see the work of the, the enemy. And again, they had, they had actual physical enemies. And, and, and Paul tells us that our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but so we're in a spiritual battle. But I like one of David's prayers is he says, Smack them in the face, God. I mean, that's kind of what he said. Break their teeth. Punch them. There's a righteous anger because Nehemiah sees what they're trying to do, but he, he gets his eyes back on the Lord, right? And, and he starts listening to God. My encouragement is to keep your eyes on Jesus when you feel yourself in the midst of the warfare. More than ever, pause and say, and you may not feel it. Now, our feelings can be misleading. And if we always are going by our feelings, we're going to be in a world of hurt. Sometimes it's just saying, God, I don't feel you. I believe that you're there because your word says that you're there and you are you are hearing my prayer right now. And if nothing else, I'm holding on to you. And I want to hear you, not with the enemy, what it's doing. And then verse 6, I love this. It says, at last, the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. They got it halfway built. And they're looking around. They're looking to the enemy, right? There's work being done. We see some victory. We see something, and the enemy is right there saying it's not enough. Even if a fox ran across the top of it, it would crumble to the ground. Pay attention to progress. Celebrate the small victories that God's doing in your life. It's easy. It is easy to say what I'm not doing. But sometimes God says, you know, those that small victory that you're not like you were yesterday. I'm not exactly where I need to be yet, but I am not where I once was. Don't give up. Some of you guys here, you need to hear this this morning, that your wall is half built. God's doing a work in your life, and you're on the brink of giving up. Do not give up. Do not listen to the lies of the devil. Press toward the high calling in Jesus. Like Paul says, he said, I forget what lies behind, and I fix my gaze on what God is doing. I'm not dictated by my shame in my past. I'm going to look in front of me and see what the Lord is doing. 
but it's intense. The warfare is intense, and it's real. Verse 7, but when Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Aphrodites heard that the work was going ahead, and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. When God is doing the work, and He's beginning to heal parts of your heart, and He's beginning to take you from here to there, the enemy gets furious. He's a spoiled, rotten brat. And he's furious that you are listening to God and whatever he can do to get you not to listen to God, that's what he's trying to do. That's the, that's the, the almost the foundation of spiritual warfare. They were furious. And let, let me say this. When the enemy gets furious, let that be a confirmation that you're on the right track. Sometimes when you get in the heat of the battle, you can just say, I know what's going on here. I'm, I'm being obedient to God and the, the enemy is furious. And sometimes that can just be a confirmation, God, thank you. And then it makes the enemy more furious when you do that. God, thank you for that confirmation. Thank you. I'm not saying you say thank you to the devil, but thank you for that confirmation. That just helps me to know that I'm going in the right direction. So when we're seeing our lives being restored here, when we see people come to Jesus, the lives are being changed, the enemy will be furious. And that's where we, again, we have to run the race with perseverance. Okay, so verse 8 gets more intense. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into what? Confusion. See the work of the enemy? Mocking, confusion. You ever ever had one of those days or just feels like your mind is clouded and it feels like I'm just confused and what I don't know up and down and what's going on. The enemy tries to throw confusion at us. It's another one of his strategies. And again, this main battleground of the mind, what are we believing? What are we dwelling on? That's what happens in our mind. What are you believing? And dwelling on. Verse 9. What did the people do? But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. What did they do? They came back to God. It's this continual return to Jesus, right? This is an everyday thing, and you've heard me say it a lot, but we desperately need Him every single day. And it's waking up going, Lord, I need you today, and I need you tomorrow, and I'm going to need you next day, and I'm going to continue to walk with you again because we are called to relationship with Him. And that the people were, they made this return back to Him, you know, saying, God, I need you. But then verse 10, okay, this, this is again the intensity. Then the people of Judah, this is, this is God's people, what happened? They began to complain. Okay, when the enemy's there, there's confusion, there's mockery. There's, you know, when we stop looking at what we're, what, what God's called us to do, they begin to complain. Here's what they said: the workers are getting tired. There's so much rubble to be moved. We'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves. And this is what the enemy wants them to dwell on, right? To get them hopeless, to get them to stop. And this is where, again, where a lot of us might find ourselves is where all of a sudden we're going, I can't do this kind of stuff. God, where are you at? It feels like I'm alone. 
I'm crying out to you, but it feels like you're very far away. Folks, He's there. He's there. And so then when there's complaint, meanwhile, enemies are saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. So then now, what is that intimidation? Mockery? Confusion? Intimidation? We will swoop down you, we will take you out. And then there's a fearfulness. Because what does complaining do? Complaining makes us turn on each other. Right? And, 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 and I'm going to get into unity in a, in a few weeks, but there's this idea that, that the enemy, when he, when he tries to go after your heart, then what he has to do is then we get offended at each other and complaining and start turning on each other. And so verse 12, the Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again. So these are God's people. They live near the enemy, right? These are Jews, God's people. And they are coming again and again. What are they saying? They will come from all directions and attack us. And so this is the intensity of the warfare that people are complaining. And again, this is an age-old problem. What was happening in the desert when God released the children of Israel in the desert? They began to grumble and complain against God, against the leadership, against this, against that. And grumbling and complaining is one of the greatest sins in the church. And it will take us down, it will take us out. Many churches have been split, ended, died, gone. Churches that were once doing a great work, winning the loss, and something happens, and we start fighting little battles that are not important. And we grumble and complain against each other, and the enemy comes in and he's laughing the whole way. Boom, boom, it's over. This happens way too much. We have to guard our hearts. Tearing others down. Because complaining leads to division, a split of visions. Because God says, here's the vision, here's the mission, and division means two visions. In other words, I don't like the vision mission. I'll do my own thing. I don't like what you're telling me. I'm going to do my own thing. The enemy is just like, yeah, this is exactly what I'm going to just keep feeding them. Separate, divide, conquer. It's over. And this is what's going on in this time. So verse 13, here's the response. Here's what Nehemiah does. Verse 13. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest part of the wall in the exposed area, facing the people to stand guard by families. So that's the most intense thing. There's confusion, there's intimidation that's going on. Nehemiah keeps his eyes on what God's called him to do. He doesn't just sit down and go, okay, forget it. We're, we're, we're just, it's over. We're, we're, all of this stuff is going on. He says, no, we've got to understand that there is an attack of the enemy. So we're going to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. So there are weapons, and we're going to get into that later on. Not today, but how we fight. Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Right? Don't be afraid of the enemy. Stop listening to his lies. Stop bowing to his intimidation. And don't listen to him. Do not be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, for your sons, for your daughters, for your wives, and for your homes. You know what the enemy's trying to do? Fight against your brothers, against your family, against your spouse, against the, the, your brother and sister that's sitting in the chairs next to you at church. 
Because Nehemiah is saying, there is a, there is a, that this battle is worth fighting. And our own hearts are at, 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 at risk here, and the hearts of people and what God has called the church to. There's a vision and mission, it is eternal, it is the kingdom of God, and it's a battle worth fighting. Fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, because there's a battle against us. Be on guard. And again, not focus on the enemy, but aware of how he operates. Learn how to fight for your hearts, your families, and each other. And so what is Nehemiah saying? Get back to work. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to the work on the wall. Isn't that good? The enemy heard about, and, and the plans of God frustrated. As we are focused on the Lord and we continue to fight the good fight and we are obedient to God, guess what God does for us? He frustrates the plans of the enemy. It can't work. You know how the plans of the enemy work? Is when we give him access. He can only work in the areas that we give him access. And when we let him in, he's coming. And this also gives us, it says we return to our work on the wall. You know what happened? They had stopped working, right? Confusion, division, intimidation. They had just kind of sat down and they had stopped working. God's saying, don't stop. Run the race. Finish well. Verse 16, next slide. But from then on, only half my men worked, while the other half stood guard with spears, fields, bows, and coats of nails. Again, this is to the leaders facing themselves behind the people of Judah. This is another place of roles. Right? People have different roles. People are, have different places in the body of Christ. Every part is important. Unity in the fight. And so they were stationed again. Uh, a reestablishment of the vision and mission that we need each other. You cannot do this alone. We need to be connected to each other so that we can know how to fight for each other. One of the greatest tactics of the enemy in spiritual warfare is to isolate you. Uh, Peter says he goes about like, and I'm going to get into this one next week, but he says like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But Peter tells us about the devil. And if you've ever watched, like, you know, National Geographic or those nature shows, and you have these packs of prey, and they are, they've got to eat like everybody else. You know, I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing, but you see how they do it. What they try to do is, is they understand that if we were running into the herd, that they could be trampled to death, right? But what they do is they, there's a tactic, and they will chase, and then what they are trying to do is isolate one member of that herd. And then they all jump on that one and they take it down. And that's why Peter says, you know, I don't know if Peter was watching National Geographic while he was writing it, probably not. Um, but he understood something and he maybe saw nature, but we see it. And he said, you know, the devil is like a roaring lion. He's seeking who you may do. He's trying to isolate you. He's trying to get you away from the path. He's trying to get you away. He's trying to lie to you. I'm all alone. Nobody loves me. Um, I'm disconnected. I'm, I'm offended. So I'm going to go my own way and do my own thing. And, he, and, and it's like this. It's just perfectly working into a plan. And then, boom, I used to let you take you out. And what Nehemiah is doing here is saying, remember, we have to be connected to each other. 
we need each other. Because on the laborers carry out their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. So they have a tool in one hand and they have a weapon in the other. We work and we fight, we fight and we work. Because it is a battle. And it is work. We're called to be in the kingdom. And it's, the work is joyous. I like where it says that they were building it because they got half the wall done because they worked with enthusiasm. They saw what God was doing. That's when we can look around and see what God's doing in the lives of people around us. We can, be, we can rejoice that our work is not in vain. That, that's why the Scripture says don't get weary in well-doing because in due time there will be a harvest. And so don't get weary. Keep working. Keep uh, influencing. Keep loving Jesus. Keep loving other people. Keep serving. Keep encouraging. Keep your eyes open to what God is doing because God wants to touch people's hearts and redeem them and restore rebuild them also. But they had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other to say, you know what, we're going to it's time to fight. And we'll get into again, you know, in a couple weeks about how we fight. We've got to fight the right way. We're not fighting against people. It's a spiritual battle, so we have to fight spiritually. Verse 18, all the builders had a sword belt to the side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. I love this. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials all the people, the work is very spread out. We're widely separated from each other along the wall. So there's some people that you're right next to, but as you go around the wall, there are people that, you know, it was spread out. And we're here together today, but guess what? Our lives on Monday morning, it takes us and we're spread out, right? We're spread out through all this, throughout this region, working on the wall. Everyone's got their part, and you're spread out. And so sometimes, it, you know, and, and we get isolated in our own little world and forget. That's why we need each other to encourage each other, to um, have friendships and people that will hold us accountable, people that will hold us up, um, be, hold us up in prayer when we're struggling. That, you know, if we get a little break from them, we can say, hey, so-and-so, please pray for me. Uh, and, and they can shoot back, I don't pray for you, because sometimes we're spread out. Throughout the week, we are spread out. But listen to this. We're widely spread out with each other along the wall. And then verse 20, let's go to the next one. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. And that's coming together. That's coming together. We need to come together. Last week we talked about people said, do not forsake the assembly together as some are in the habit of doing. Loving each other, supporting each other, fighting for each other. This is how we know how to fight for each other. Because then our God will fight for us. We're not fighting alone. He doesn't just say, Good luck with all that. I'll let you guys. He says, "No, when you guys are obedient and you're coming together, where two or three are gathered in my name, and then you know, there's that passage where it says one can spend a thousand, two, ten thousand. It, it gets exponential as we come together. We worship God. We fix our eyes on Jesus, and we're loving each other. The enemy flees. God will fight for us. How does He fight for us when we do it His way?" This is another important part. So what I said, why Israel was in the condition, why the walls were torn down, is they had done it their own way. They became God of their own lives. And again, when we walk in obedience, we surrender our lives to God. God, I'm going to do life your way. 
I'm going to do family your way. I'm going to do marriage your way. I'm going to do, uh, uh, I'm going to raise my kids your way. I'm going to work with integrity your way. Day to day, I'm going to fix my eyes on you. I'm going to live life your way. And when I stand in my fall, I'm going to get back up and I'm going to repent. I'm going to keep walking your way. And he says, he will fight for you. He will fight for you. He says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset. Half the men were always on guard. Guys, our work never ends. We don't retire from the kingdom of God. We don't retire from the, the work of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel. I also told everyone living outside the walls, this is verse 22, to stay in Jerusalem that way. They and their servants could help the guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. Now, let me stop right there. It's a smelly bunch. But I think there's a profound picture again here. Paul says this in Romans. He says, clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus Christ. The reason why they didn't, they said, you know, well, we don't even have time to change. We are, the, the work, the work is, is, is worth it. What God has called us to do is worth it. And so they were in a very intense time as we are. But as Paul said, don't take off the spiritual to Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus. When you wake up tomorrow, clothe yourself in Jesus. Guess what you need? Every part of you in every part of me. I don't want to compartmentalize my Christianity. I don't want to be a Christian on Sunday and doing whatever I want the rest of the week. Lord, I want you to direct my steps. I want my, again, I want, I don't, I don't want you to be, Lord, when I just need something from you or I'm in, I'm in a chaotic time in my life, Lord, I want you every day. I want you to be the Lord of my marriage. I want you to be the Lord of my family. I want you to be the Lord of my entertainment. Don't compartmentalize your Christianity. And that we tolerate sin or we compromise and we make a little compromise and say, well, that's just, it's not a big deal. It's just entertainment or whatever. God, wa- God wants to be the Lord of your life. Jesus wants you to be clothed with Him each and every day. Walking with Him in obedience. Clothe yourself in the Lord Jesus. So they didn't take off their clothes because they were working. So we carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. So I want to leave this to you and I'm done today. I hope you got something out of this as you can even just look again at what the schemes of the enemy are. Be sober and vigilant. Be aware, but not fearful of the tactics of the enemy. Be aware of his schemes, as Paul calls them, the, 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 the schemes of the enemy. He's scheming against you. Just as God has a plan and purpose for your life, so the enemy has a purpose for your destruction. Be aware of it, but don't live in fear of it. Fix your eyes on Jesus and have hope. Some of you guys, your wall is half wet. Keep on. Have hope. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. The word is worth it. And you stand to Will you pray with me and let's get to the Lord. God, thank you that you are real. 
Lord, as we see all around us, God, uh, a lot of us here, we, in our own hearts, and we have, but we have people in our lives that are family, friends, that we have been praying for. But because the hearts and souls of people are what's at stake here. Lord, you've called us to eternal things, not temporary things, Lord God. Forgive us when we've uh, fought the wrong battle, when we've turned on each other, when we've grumbled and we've complained. Lord, help us to fix our eyes on you. Help us to be aware of the schemes of the enemy and, uh, and, and, and the ultimate Lord, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author of things for our faith. Lord, help us to clothe ourselves in the Lord Jesus loving you and doing life your way. Lord, help us to walk in victory because we are called to live in victory. We are called to live in freedom. We are called, Lord, to live on purpose. We are called to advance the kingdom. We are called to advance the gospel. Until you return, you call us on God and we love you and serve you every single day. We love you, Jesus, too, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome And as we, let's, let's, let's pray about that, if we're done and all lazy, but I'll, I'll, let's, let's just pause for a second because we all have people in our lives, and I know I do, and as, as I'm preparing for this message, I, there are somebody very dear to me and close to me that I've been to for. And so if that's you, we need to lift your hand, people in your life that you've been praying for, and you know it's desperate, and you've been praying for them, and, uh, and so Lord... God, more than our hands, you see our hearts, we just in faith, oh God, where there are people in our lives that desperately need you. And when we lift them up, we ask God, we will touch them, we will continue to be slaughtered by your spirit, Lord. We know, God, that human words, we, a lot of times we set them off. And there's nothing else that we could physically say that's going to turn the time before we know when your Holy Spirit is there. Power of your spirit to draw them, to touch them, to speak to them. God, we know that it's real. Make it real to them. Today, this week, God, speak to them. Put something in their path. Keep their attention. Lord, we love them and we know that you love them. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a happy Thanksgiving this week. Bless you guys.